0: Well, I've always been a sport uh, fan, and when I was younger, baseball cards were a really big deal, and they actually made a comeback during the pandemic, but I collected a lot of baseball cards, and there was a man that went to the church that we went to named Mr. Garrison, and Mr. Garrison was a giant. He was 6'4", or 6'6", which is just a giant when you're a child, and he was a gym teacher during the day, but Mr. Garrison had a hobby as well. And he, was, he would order thousands of, of cards uh, from the card companies directly. And so when you went to his basement, there were just thousands of boxes of unopened cards down there, baseball cards and basketball cards and football cards. He would go around to card shows and, and dealers and sell cards. And he loved kids, so he put together a card club that would meet the first Saturday of every month at the church. And every kid that went got free cards And he would sell cards at a discount and he would spend time talking about sports and spend time talking about Jesus and tying in a life lesson. And it was just, it was a fantastic time as somebody who loved sports and loved card collecting. So I went and some of my friends went with me and one week after card club was over, I went over to my friend's house. And that day at card club, Mr. Garrison had gave us a list of all these different sport, sport uh, franchises that you could mail cards to. You would mail the card in a self-addressed stamped envelope, and then sometimes the players would sign the cards and send them back. So Mr. Garrison taught us how to write a letter to some of our favorite players and ask them politely for their autograph. And so for the rest of the afternoon, me and a friend, we sat there and we sent out a bunch of cards. And then a few weeks later, wouldn't you know it, I got some packages in the mail. And when you're a little kid, you love getting anything in the mail, but when they're actually autographs from players that you like, it just makes for an incredible day, and it was a great day. And my friend who I spent the afternoon doing this with and I, we made plans that we were going to do this again soon at his house. So we were talking one day at school, and I called him up, and we were trying to work out a day, and I said, hey, would you be able to get together after the next card club? He said, yes. So we got together after the next card club. and went to his house, and I said, well, are we going to send some more autograph requests to our favorite players? And he said, I don't have any baseball cards. My mom took all of them away from me. I'm like, what? He said, yeah, my mom took all, the car- all my cards away from me, and I'm not allowed to have them right now. I said, why? He said, well, after you and I sent out a a bunch of autograph requests. I decided it was really cool when I got a couple of them that came back signed. And so I wanted to do some more. And then I did a bunch more. And I went through all of our stamps. And then when we ran out of regular stamps, I used all of my mom's Elvis stamps. And then... And then when I ran out of all the Elvis stamps, I found some stamps that didn't—they ha- weren't worth a lot of money. They, they were just a few cents, but I put all of those on a, couple, on a couple envelopes and sent those out, and I used all of my dad's stamps. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of dollars that he mailed out when he went through his dad's stamp collection and put all those stamps that his father had collected onto an envelope in hopes of getting an autograph back. But all I know is he didn't have cards for a really long time. You know, sometimes we don't know the value of something. Sometimes we don't know the value of something. And today, what we're going to do is we continue our look at the book of Genesis. If you're just joining us, we've been looking at the book of Genesis, which is the very first book in the Bible. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us if you'd like to this morning. In a resource called the Bible app, it's available in the app store of your choosing. Just type in Bible. It's generally the first one that pops up. It's literally called the Bible app. And once you've downloaded that, there's a feature within there called Events. And you can either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201, and there Lakeside Community Church will pop up. And you can select it there. If you have a traditional Bible with you, Genesis uh, chapter 9 is where we'll be today. And Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so it's pretty easy to find. And the verse will be available on the screens to the side. And for those of you streaming from home, thank you for joining us. The verse will be available on the screen below as we look at Genesis 9 in just a minute. But what we're going to see today is a reminder. We're going to be given a reminder of the immense value of life an immense value of life, in a world that just tells you life isn't that valuable, we're going to say and be reminded today of just how incredibly valuable life is. Genesis 9-1 is where we'll start today, and we read these words. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now we've just seen God has used Noah and his family to do something pretty incredible. God had them build a giant boat and they spent over a year of their lives on that boat. And finally the waters, as God flooded the world, finally the waters have receded to the point they can finally get out of the boat. They get out of the boat and we saw last week they celebrate and they celebrate by Noah making an altar to God. And now God responds to all that he's seen. Now God blesses Noah and his family and God blesses Noah with a blessing that, if you're familiar with, with Genesis, it should sound familiar to you, because it's, it's the same blessing that God gave the very first humans that He made, Adam and Eve. It's the same blessing that God gave Noah, or excuse me, gave Adam. God gives that same blessing to Noah, where he says, "Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth." This isn't just something that you have to do. It's something that you get to do. And so often in life, we walk through life, and we don't experience the full joy that God wants us to experience in our lives because we have this outlook of, oh, I have to do this. What we see is that the way God blesses Noah, and that's literally what this is. It is a blessing. He's telling Noah, you get You get to live a productive life. You get to live a productive life. There should be joy in each and every day that we wake up. That each and every day, it truly is a gift. It's a new opportunity for us. It's not something that we should begrudgingly look at, but every single day is a new opportunity for us. And what he tells Noah is, Noah, live a life of, of production. Go dream and go create and go do things. And some ways in our minds, there's this disconnect between the sacred and the spiritual and every other aspect of our life. And God never designed us to compartmentalize things in that way. And so sometimes we think, well, we worship to God by what we just did. And we sing. And for those of you who don't really like to sing, you're like, yeah, I'm not really big on worshiping God. It's kind of boring. I don't really like to sing all that much. And, and so if you're being honest with yourself, you kind of have this mindset and this thought that I don't really like to worship God. But worship is never meant to be confined into singing. Worship was never meant to be confined into, into a song or into an artistic expression. Literally, it is worship when we when we respond to a holy God. Our lifestyle response to a holy God is the biblical definition of worship, which means if God has created you with a passion to build things, you worship God when you build things. And you should feel God's pleasure when you build. Because that's how God's created you. That's how God's designed you. And when you live out the purpose that God has made you and designed within you, that is actually an act of worship. And what God tells Noah here is, Noah, the blessing in your life, part of the blessing in your life is to live a productive life. That's part of the blessing that I'm calling over your life. And I just want to ask, do you wake up every day realizing that that today is a gift and that God has wired you the way that He's wired you for a reason and that when we fulfill that and we live according to the way that God has wired us, that is actually an act of worship? Do you understand that? Do you live your life that way? That the blessing that God calls on Noah is, Noah, go and be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That you get to live a productive life. You get to procreate. You get to do all of these things. This is the same blessing that God gave Adam. And now God continues the blessing. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Now, I just said God continues the blessing that he's giving to Noah. And we read the start of verse 2, and you're like, well, unless you're a Disney villain, how does that really sound like a blessing? That the fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth? How how does that work? But literally what God is giving Noah here is the blessing of dominion. The blessing of dominion. That God has placed humanity over the animal kingdom. God has placed humanity over the animal kingdom. And in our world, in our day and age, we think of Oftentimes when we think of animals, we think of everything being domesticated. We think of everything being, you know, housebroken and well-trained. But, but think about the world that Noah's in. And every animal, every animal is now under the, under the placement of humanity. That God has given humans dominion over the animals. And as people who love Jesus... We should love our pets, and we should take care of our pets. But it's important for us to realize that in our culture, it's gotten to the point where people value animals more than people. And, and that's, a, that's a very real temptation. That's a very real danger in our culture, that there's more value placed with, by some people on animals than on other humans. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not telling you don't love your animals. I want you to love your animals, take care of your animals. That's a biblical concept. That the righteous person takes care of their animals and serves them well. That is a biblical concept. But just remember that they're not people. And the people have more value. And I get it. Some of you spend more on the wardrobe for your for your animals than I would, you know, some of you deck the dog out in, in, in more than I would spend on a shirt. But you're like, well, yeah, but look at you, Brian, that's not really that impressive. I get it. I understand that. All right. That's fine. And if you want to deck out your your dog and have a little outfit for it for every day of the week, that's cool too. Whatever you want to do. But all I'm saying is make sure, make sure you keep the proper perspective. In a society that will tell you, no, value the life of animals more than people. We just have to reject that notion. And and this idea of dominion over the animals continues. Every moving thing that lives should be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. I give you everything. Part of the dominion that God has given us, part of the dominion that God has given us is dinner. This is a new diet. Up until this point, Everybody was vegetarians. And now God has told Noah and his family, you can eat meat. You now have access to a new diet. And yet, there's some restrictions. But you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is its blood. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it and from man. And now God has said, all this is available for you as dinner, but now there's a restriction. There's a restriction. And the restriction is you can't eat meat that has its blood in it. You might be like, well, why? Why? I mean, what's the point? If you've ever been with somebody who orders a steak, well done. I mean, you might as well just put ketchup on it. What's the point at that point? I mean, really, why would you... Why would you desecrate a beautiful piece of meat like that and in cooking it well done? I just I don't understand people like that. What? Why would you do that to your meat? I don't get it. But here you're reading this and you might be thinking, God, why have you just made it so steak doesn't taste that great? What's What's the point? Why would you put this restriction in? And remember this: what we saw when we started, what we, what we saw when we started our look at the beginning. That before the foundation of the world, before the foundation of the world, God already put the plan of redemption in motion. Before God created me, before God created you, he knew every mistake we would make. He knew the fact that we would rebel against him. Before God created Adam and Eve, God knew that Adam and Eve would take of the forbidden fruit. He knew that they would rebel against him. Before God made anything, He already knew this. And before God set the world in motion, he already set the plan of our redemption in place. That he would send his son Jesus once and for all to deal with sin. To die on the cross, to shed his blood, and that would ultimately take care of our sin. And remember, on the heels of this, what has just happened? What has just happened when God is giving this promise? That God has just dealt with sin. God has just dealt with sin. With the flood. And God will ultimately deal with sin once and for all by the shedding of the blood of Jesus. And what God wants Noah and all of his descendants to understand is the symbolism. God wants Noah and all of his descendants to understand that there is something sacred and there is something powerful in this idea of the lifeblood. And ultimately, the blood of Jesus would give us all life once and for all. And God goes now even further with this idea of just how precious the life is from his fellow man i will require a reckoning for the life of man whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed for god made man in his own image now god introduces the idea of capital punishment right here in genesis 9 6 and Genesis 9:6, right here, God introduces this idea of capital punishment. And I know today's argument: there are people who land on both sides of this idea, and and the argument today is is whether or not capital punishment is actually a deterrent. And people will argue and debate whether or not it's an effective means of deterrent against murder. And so there's a, there's a lot of discussion and a lot of debate on that. But just understand where God introduces it into the picture here in Genesis 9-6. It's never a question of whether or not it's a deterrent. That's not the point. The point and the reason that God introduces it is strictly as a punishment. It's strictly as a punishment that if somebody murders somebody else, their blood will be required of them. Because God sees life and he puts such an immense value on every single life that he says if anybody is going to ignore the fact that life has immense value, if anybody's going to go and going to take somebody else's life, their blood, their own blood shall be required of them. And why? Why does God feel this way? Because everyone is created in the image of God. That every single person is created in God's image. That's why every single life has value. Every single life. Because every person is created in in God's image. And we live in a time and we live in a society that wants to diminish the value of human life. It wants to diminish the value. It wants to tell you that, that some lives have value, some lives have more value than others. But if there's a developmental delay, if if there's a defect of some sort, well, then that life doesn't have as much value. And, And what we see here from Scripture is just the opposite of that, that every single person, every single life has value. And where this gets challenging is we understand this at an intellectual level. For those of us who follow Jesus, we can understand this easily at an intellectual level. And yet, sometimes it's really hard to see people as having the image of God. Sometimes it's really hard to remember that those other people on the road with you who for some reason made it through driver's ed, and we don't really know how, because they clearly do not know how to drive, right? To see those people, not as their horrendous driving, to see those people, not as people incapable of common sense, but to see those people as image bearers of God. That's where it gets challenging to see people that disagree with you, It's an image bearer of God to see your ex-wife or your current mother-in-law or the neighbor that you can't stand or your boss who has no clue to see them as people who have God's image. It can be incredibly difficult. And yet, every single person has immense value. Because every single person is created in God's image. And the picture that God gives Noah is this reminder of the immense value that you and every single person has. Because you were made in the image of God. And remember, remember what has just happened. We just talked about it. All this is coming on the heels of the flood. And what was the flood? The flood was the most devastating and the most deadly occurrence that the world had ever experienced up until this point. It was the most death that the world had ever encountered. And on the heels of that, God is reminding Noah just how sacred and how valuable life really is. He goes on, and you be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. God again drives this point home. Again, God drives the point home. Live productive lives. Be fruitful and multiply. Do you think God wants us to get it? Do you think God wants us to get it? This is the same blessing he gave Adam to start everything. It's the blessing that he gives to Noah again as he's restarting the world, as the world's getting a reboot here. It just keeps driving the point home that God wants us to live fulfilled lives. God wants us to live productive lives. That's what God wants for us. God specifically promises here to never destroy the world again with a flood. That's what He promises here. And and sometimes when we make a, an important promise, we give a symbol. I think the most common occurrence of this certainly is weddings. Most people exchange rings when they exchange their vows, and, and the ring is a, is a symbol. It's a symbol of love. It's a symbol of commitment. It's a symbol of the fact that that we're taken and and we've made a promise to spend the rest of our lives with somebody. It's it's the most common of these. And now God is going to give us a symbol of the promise that he just made with Noah. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Now, God offers a visible reminder of his promise, the rainbow. God offers a visible reminder of his promise, the rainbow. And I, I was researching some facts uh, about the rainbow because, admittedly, I, I don't know that many. Um, but the first the first that scientists tell us are this, that no two people see the same rainbow. And you're like, yes, they do. If you've ever been in a car and you've You've tapped somebody and said, "Hey uh look the rainbow you look over there, they look over there, you see the rainbow, they see the rainbow that's the that's the same rainbow I mean have, have you ever gone outside and, and seen a rainbow and and then called somebody to go check out the rainbow?" I haven't. that's why I'm asking if you have uh, because it's never in my life have I seen a rainbow and been like, huh?" I'm going to pull out my phone and go through my contacts list and call somebody that I know's close by, tell them to go to a window or head outside and check out the rainbow. That's just not me. But I've heard some people actually do that, so that that's why I was asking. But if, if you've ever actually called somebody and said, hey, go, go look at a rainbow, and they go out and they see a rainbow, you might be like, well, they see the same rainbow. I'm more the guy, I'll see a rainbow when we're driving, I don't even mention it to my kids. I'm just like, yeah. I've seen the rainbow. That's cool. All right. Next. Uh, that, that's just me, but no two people see the same rainbow. What scientists tell us is this. The light bouncing off certain raindrops for your rainbow is bouncing off other raindrops from a completely different angle for someone else, according to life science. And so it's creating a different image. It's literally creating a different image. Basically, no two people can stand in the same exact spot at the same time and view the same rainbow, which I think is fascinating. Uh, Sorry for those of you who are on a gold hunt, but you can never reach the end of a rainbow. It's, It's impossible. You can never reach the end of a rainbow. You can't even see all the colors in the rainbow. I know what some of you are thinking, Roy G. Biv, I know all the colors in the rainbow. No, you don't. No, you don't. This is fascinating. There are actually more than one million colors in the rainbow. There are actually more than one million colors in the rainbow. Some of them can't even be recognized by the human eye. And don't you worry, people at Crayola right now are working on those crayon sets for over a million colors. Trust me, because 128 crayons aren't enough, apparently. They'll be rolling out a million, million colors of a rainbow set. I'm fascinated by these facts. I I really am. And I I love what these facts uh, convey to us, not just about a rainbow, because admittedly, I, I mean, rainbows are cool and all, but who cares? But when we think about the God behind the creation, when we think about what this says about God, just, just even taking something like like the rainbow, and we know that God is the same. That God is who He is. And yet, the way that God encounters me is different than the way that God encounters you. And you. And you. How the same God, who who is the same, is grand enough to encounter each and every one of us on a different level, in a different way. In in the same way that there's no end to the rainbow, that God's eternal. That we can never, we can never reach this point the end of God. That in the same way that the rainbow has, has more than a million colors, and we can look at it and we can understand what we think are the seven colors of the rainbow, but the more that we dig in, the more we realize that the more we understand, the more our understanding communicates to us that is grander than our ability to fully understand that as we grow closer to God and we learn more about God and we know when we experience God, when that happens, we realize that as much as we know about God, there's even more that we will never fully understand, that we will never fully grasp. And the more that we know God, the more we realize there's so much about God that we do not know. I mean, we've been reminded today about the greatness of life, about the value of life, about the worth of, of life, but let's remind ourselves about God's greatness as well. Let's remind ourselves of how great the same God who encounters us all differently is. That God cannot be put in a box. And that God is simple enough for a child to understand, and yet complex enough that we will never fully grasp. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And This is God's promise. This is God's promise. And God said to Noah, This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Did you catch that? This is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. All flesh. Even the flesh that reminds God why he made this promise to begin with. Because he destroyed humanity in judgment before. Yet even then, the rainbow serves as a promise. It serves as a promise and serves as a reminder to God that He will never again destroy all flesh. He will never again destroy this world in a flood. And the rainbow, it's not just a reminder. It's not just a reminder of God's restraint. But the rainbow also shouts about about God's mercy. And about His grace. That it's a reminder that God is merciful. And God is gracious. That He is patient. In a world that we look at, and we can all point and say, there is no shortage to evil. We look at events that just that just happen every single week, and we just shake our heads. Events worthy of headlines that are just the worst of humanity on display, and there's no end in sight. And we can all point to those things. Where they just, we just see evil on a grand display. And if we're honest with ourselves, there's the moments in our own lives and in our own hearts that we can point to. Where evil's on display. Not out there always for the world to see. But in here. With my thoughts and my feelings. There's no shortage to brokenness. There's no shortage to us seeing the need and seeing evil on full display. yet the rainbow serves as an incredible reminder of God's mercy and His grace. To love us in spite of the fact that at times we're unlovable. To spare us when we're all guilty of some things that don't deserve sparing. That's the promise of the rainbow. So what do we do with all of this? Well, first, I just want to encourage you, embrace life. Embrace life. Realize that each and every day is a gift. That tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. That every day we wake up is a gift from God. Embrace it. Live it to the fullest. Realize you are who God has made you to be. Don't walk through life looking at what everybody else can do that you wish you could do. And you spend all of your life thinking, well, if only I could do this, and if only I could do that, and if only I could do this. Embrace how God has wired you. Embrace how God has created you. And when you live according to the passions and the abilities that God has designed you with, feel His pleasure. If you're a builder, feel God's pleasure when you build something. If you're a creator, after the first 500 attempts have failed, feel God's pleasure when it all comes together and it's exciting and it works. And some of you are are so sick, you can even enjoy the 500 rounds of failure. Love that. Embrace it. That's how God has made you. Embrace life. Feel his pleasure and realize that when we live our lives to the potential that God has created us in response to a holy God, that is worship. Embrace life. Second, embrace God. The God who is the same and yet complex enough to encounter us all in different ways. The God that we cannot put in a box. And the God so easy a child can understand and so complex that we will never fully grasp. Embrace God's mercy. Embrace His grace. Embrace the fact that God loves you, not because of anything that you have done, not because of anything that you could do, but because he created you. And even in the midst of your mistakes, even in the midst of your shortcomings, he still loves you. And when we embrace life and when we embrace God, we allow ourselves the opportunity to see people as God sees people. That we can see others as God sees others. And we see them as image bearers of God. We see them of people who have value and worth. We can see beyond their horrible driving abilities. And we see that they have value. May those of us who love Jesus see people. In the same way God does, that every life and every person has incredible value. And that will help us love people the way that God has called us to love. And that will help us point people to the hope of Jesus, which this world so desperately needs. God, I pray that you'd help us love people. I pray that you would help us love life. That we would see each day as you see it. That each and every day is a gift. An opportunity. That tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. That you've created us with passions and abilities And we can feel your pleasure when we live productive lives in response to you. God, I pray that we would embrace you. That we would never lose sight of just how amazing you are. That we would be reminded of your goodness we would be reminded of your grace. We'd be reminded of your mercy. That The God who is the same reveals himself to us all in different ways. God's so great we can't fit into a neat and tidy box. God who's so complex. A child can follow and yet we can never fully grasp. God, help us see others as you see them. That we would see every person's value and every person's worth. God, may we point them to the hope that's only available through you and your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we do pray. Amen.